we don't mind sustainable change. We were scared of it at first. We don't mind it. What we hate are interruptions. And interruptions are changes that don't last. Welcome to the Meaningful Work Podcast, your source for ideas, inspiration, and tools for unleashing your best, most fulfilling work yet. Now, your host, Josh Schneider. Oh, welcome to the show today. Today with us is Greg Offner. Now, he is a disruption expert and his background is varied. Part of why I wanted him on the show today was, you know, we're in a season of, of challenge and a season of shift. And if you know, I like to look at the stories of people's lives and how they've lived it, because when we look into those stories, we're able to gather and capture the true insights not the created insights, but the true insights that speak to who we are. And I am so excited to unpack this conversation with Greg today to navigate through some of the obstacles, some of the things that he has learned and truly how he has shaped, how he views and goes after the world today. Greg, welcome to the show. Thanks, Josh. Pleasure to be here. Yes. Okay. So jumping right out the gate in 90 seconds i mean walk everybody through kind of who you've been and who you are right now wow i've been a a lover a fighter a dreamer no i so i've had this really crazy background where i went to school uh, having two real passions in life music and sports and when i got out of school i realized that i wasn't going to make enough money uh, on either of them and would probably eat ramens forever if I didn't find another path. And that path led me down uh, a sales trajectory where I was lucky enough to get with some phenomenal companies. Most of the organizations I've supported from a sales and sales leadership standpoint were Fortune 100 or Fortune 500 companies. Got phenomenal sales training, had great mentors and you know kicked butt. I was very fortunate to uh, do very well financially from a very young age and that kept me in the sales game because you start making that kind of money when you're used to eating ramen noodles and you go, what idiot leaves this? Even though I'm unhappy, even though I really hate what I do, God, those commas look good in my bank account. And so I stuck with it for several years. And, and along the way, I cobbled together what I call my street MBA. Uh, so I worked for a sales organization where really it was game theory. They didn't, you didn't understand profit and loss. You just understood I have to sell this much a week to be an all-star and anything below that, you suck, you're a loser, go home. Then I started working for an organization that really taught me the ins and outs of financials. I was selling a very complicated financial product, and I learned that uh, I am just as smart as most other people running businesses. They're just a lot gutsier than I was at the time because most people step off the ledge and aren't sure what they're going to step onto. These folks were doing it. They were operating without a net, and I got to see the ins and outs of how they ran their AR, their AP, how they financed, how they sought credit. It was very, very illuminating for me from a business standpoint. That then also pushed me into the world of insurance and risk management because uh, through selling that financial product, I was exposed to a lot of insurance terminology, insurance agents and brokers, and I saw what that world looked like, and, and boy, it looked yummy. So I did that for a couple years, and uh, along the way, I had this kind of unique career as a dueling piano player, which we'll probably get into later. So I had this uh, job that was financially fulfilling during the day and a job that was actually fulfilling at night, 
All of that came to a crashing halt in 2015 uh, when I was diagnosed with severe vocal trauma as a result of talking and singing and talking and singing and the smoking and the drinking probably didn't help along the way. And doctors said that without surgery, I would lose the ability to speak uh, and that they couldn't even guarantee that I'd keep the ability to speak and sing after surgery because the odds were 50-50. So uh, from 2015 till, till now... I've been on this wild ride with doctors, and I, I think I've had more doctors than most 90-year-olds do, uh, telling me this is what's wrong, this is how we fix it, and going through this crazy series of surgeries and the uh, unknown that happens as you're recovering from surgery. And then with voice surgery in particular, there's no way to show others that your voice is injured. When you broke your leg, you have a cast. When you break your arm, you have a cast. When you break your voice... What do you do? You just look like this creep that's at a party not talking and you have a whiteboard. That's how you communicate. So it's been a crazy adventure, Josh. And all of that has pushed me into this world of keynote speaking, being a thought leader on disruption and creativity and helping others navigate change that they make and navigate change that is thrown upon them. So I call it making and managing. It's the process of making change and the perspective of dealing with it. And, and as you so intelligently put at the beginning of this podcast, we are in a world where everybody is being asked to manage tremendous change. Yeah. So I think now more than ever, my skills are uh, in need, which is a good thing. And I, I started, I, I wrote out while you were talking, I put our pet, our paths forward are often put together by our past experiences. And obviously there was a part of you that enjoyed the, the showmanship or the, the, the onstage presence of, of being this performer. Um, what part of your past experiences do you feel like led you here? Like if you look back over the, over the last amount of years, were there certain moments or experiences that, as you said, hey, where do I want to really take this? That you kind of compiled together and you you had these moments of brilliance to say, I think this is the direction. Yeah, and I want to come back to this. I want to answer the question, but I want to come back to something that you just bubbled up in my mind, which is the the, the sort of pithy answer is everything. Everything that I've done has, has given me the ability to be here, right? That's the pithy answer. But if I talk about how I got here, when I fell into the sales world, I had no idea what I wanted. And it was more a process of exploring and finding out what I didn't want. And I identified that pretty quickly. But what I also realized was that making the living that salespeople make was a really, really awesome thing for me at the time. Your early 20s, you're making a good income, you're paper in the bar, you're meeting people, you're traveling, you're, you're having a good time, no responsibilities, all the fun in the world. Then as I got a little older, uh, the sheen wore off, right? We call that habituation in, in, in the psychology world. I habituated to the money and it didn't become a big deal anymore. And so I, I made this conscious decision that I wanted to cobble together skills that I thought might get me to a destination that I hadn't identified yet. So thankfully, part of that is smart. Part of that is stupid. Uh, the stupid part is that I hadn't identified a destination. The smart part was that I realized what I didn't know and sought jobs that let me fill in those gaps, so coming out of my first job with a company called Cintas, I understood how to sell. I understood how to negotiate. I understood how to identify client needs. I, I did not understand business. Mm. I did not understand the amount of a discount that I was giving, what that actually meant at the end of the day. I didn't understand landed costs, net costs. There were so many parts of business that I was just clueless to. 
So I knew that my next job had to give me insight into business, how business works. Mm. Because remember, I studied music and philosophy and psychology in college. So I had all the soft skills, but I didn't have any of the hard skills, the math, the finance, the accounting. So I cobbled this, what I said, a street MBA together through making deliberate choices. So when I left the financial world, I said, I've done everything but manage the account. I've sold it and gone away, made it somebody else's problem. I started to dive into business. And, and the other thing I learned from that dive into business was that I am not any dumber or necessarily any smarter than most of the people that own successful businesses. Yes. They've just done a couple things that I haven't done. So that yes. really helped peel that facade, that, that mask of, ooh, these people are better than me. No, they're not better. They're just different and they took different risks. The next series of, of decisions I made was to, again, incorporate skills that I hadn't yet learned, like account management. Uh, luckily, I had been in sales leadership as well while I was at Cintas, and I continued to uh, find myself in these leadership roles at the, at the companies that I, I, I wound up at next. Um, and then as I got into insurance, that was a wholly different skill set. And, and that was really a, a purposeful decision where I said, what are the five biggest industries on the planet? So there was telecommunications, there was medicine, there was uh, financial services, and so that will be, you know, insurance and risk management. There was food, and there was real estate. I saw those as the five biggest industries on the planet. So I said, I need to work in one of those industries because I need the opportunity to move. I need the opportunity to be able to shift within the industry so I'm not losing time, I'm not losing industry knowledge but I can go from company to company and sort of climb up the ladder in that, in that way. The funny thing about this whole process is that I didn't, I, can I say this? I didn't give a shit. I was quite literally faking it all the time. So here I am competing with people that are passionate that would, you know, give their, their left arm to be successful at what they did. And I was just kind of going along with the flow of the ocean. Uh, I was there for the paycheck and that was about it. So Again, smart thing I did looking for the way to patch in the skill sets that I was missing. Stupid thing is I still hadn't identified a destination. For me, the destination was one day I'll be rich and I won't have to deal with all this bullshit. Which, if we're honest, is not a destination. <laughs> right? The more money you have, not mo problems, we're not going to go there and make it cliche, but the more money you have, the different problems arise. Now, it's, it's great to have money to deal with problems, but you don't eliminate them. It cre it's a resource and resource creates options and somebody who is forward moving is constantly looking it doesn't matter whether you're an entrepreneur or whether you've worked at the same company for 40 years if you're a forward moving a progressive individual somebody who realizes you know maybe you didn't predict that this would happen but you predicted like something would happen um uh, uh, very interesting i have never i I think about careers all the time. I have never thought about it, and we can move on after this, but I put to focus on the macro environment and let the micro environment develop. I think that was, that was so wise of you to think big picture of, if I get involved in an industry that is expansive, and you thought for the big, big, big picture, even though you said, I didn't know what direction or what specific purpose. Um, I mean, that is, that's good.
right there because that is something that somebody can take a step forward on. And I, I so I, I do ask quickly, which one did you pick and did it inspire you or was it simply out of its, out of its size that you picked it? Yeah, uh, it, it was kind of happenstance. So I picked insurance. So that's the one that I wound up uh, delving into because one, I already had the background in it. So I already had the insurance certifications from when I sold that financial product. It was actually credit insurance. So uh, something that you see right now, accounts receivable insurance, businesses that make sales internationally and the company in Malaysia all of a sudden stops returning calls, doesn't pay invoices. If you don't have trade credit insurance, you're screwed. If you do have trade credit insurance, you file a claim and you get paid on at least some of the outstanding invoices. So because it's an insurance product, I had to be licensed, but because it's a financial product, I got all of that financial experience and all of that P&L knowledge that I had, had just overlooked in school because I thought I was going to be a rock star. I thought I was going to move to LA at 19, get a job waiting tables, and then you know somebody would discover me and go, hey man, you're the next, you're the next Jim Morrison, man. Um, and I don't know why the person who discovered me would talk like a total pothead stoner, but that's what happened <laughs> in my brain, right? It's, so the thing I want to hit on before we move forward is this. It took a crisis to get me out of fight or flight mode. Oh. When, I, when I started that sales career, I was in fight or flight mode, right? Remember, I just got out of college. I left this safe space where everything seemed guaranteed and everything seemed simple and rosy. And now I'm in the real world where the, insure, uh, the student loan companies want their money. All of a sudden, my dad was less inclined to help me out with rent. And I was really not digging the taste of ramen noodles. And I'm not even kidding. There was a period in time where my roommate and I had a thick, like whatever gauge electrical cord snaked from the outside into our apartment and all of our, our fridge, our TV, we had drugged the fridge into the living room because we only had one power strip. We were, we, we were afraid that we'd blow the whole thing if we ran electrical cords through this old ass house. We had all of our stuff plugged in. The, the, the power company had cut our service. The cable company had cut our service. We were literally watching DVDs of Zoolander on repeat just constantly. It's like all we had. It sounds excellent. So, I it was it was the freaking dream, dude. If I could go back to that, like sleeping on a futon, waking up my back doesn't hurt, like having parties till three a.m. just drinking shit beer. That was the I had no idea that was a life, and all I wanted was to. It's so funny, isn't it? Right? We we want what we don't have. All I wanted then was to live this life where I had commas in my bank account and could do yeah. whatever I wanted. And the minute I had that, I was like, dude, can I just go back to drinking natty light and playing beer pong on a Tuesday? <laughs> I mean, I, so, I, I think but, we still can, but yeah, it just, it, <laughs> Wednesday turns into Friday morning. <laughs> yes, precisely. So let me finish that thought out and then I do want to move on because you asked a great question. The thought is, is this, a lot of times the answers are right in front of us. We've just got such tunnel vision trying to make it through instead of contributing to our journey. And what this crisis allowed me the opportunity to do and what today's crisis I think allows our listeners the opportunity to do is step back, eliminate the tunnel vision, and start to piece together the attributes. Because, you know, Josh, if you think back, I got out of school with a focus in psychology, philosophy, and music. Well, those are really interesting, interesting attributes. What did I layer on top of that? Business success, and success is an arbitrary word. I was successful. I achieved the income level that I wanted. I was achieving some recognition within the organizations that I worked for, for proficiency, for excellence. 
Um, I think if I had been the number one performer, you know, you always say like Lance Armstrong didn't decide to go play football. You know what I mean? Like when you're the best in the world at cycling, you freaking stay as a cyclist. So I think it's disingenuous for some people to say, well, were you the top performer everywhere you were? No, top performers don't leave. They don't. I left because I was in search of something that fulfilled me, not just financially, but spiritually. And I don't care if that's woo-woo to say, if people don't like it, you're not the company to hire me as a speaker anyway. But here's what I'll tell you. All of those experiences pulled little pieces from my life. And the problem is they were only pulling little pieces. And that's why there were only glimmers of fulfillment, glimmers of satisfaction. It took me losing all of that to finally objectively look at my skills and go, what do I love? Because Jim Carrey has a great quote. He says, you can fail at stuff you don't like. So you may as well try stuff you do like. And that hit me dead center, man. Because I had been marginally successful at stuff that I didn't care about. Hell, I'd actually been pretty damn successful at stuff I didn't care about. What would happen if I took a, a stab at something I did care about? Come on. So your, your question was, what did I pick? And I picked insurance. Interesting that, so from, from you know, my side of the aisle, we're constantly looking at the, the brain-heart connection. And our brain is powerful. I mean, statistically, 70 plus percent of the workforce is going to work every day kind of saying, hey, I don't want to be here. I have mm -hmm. a lifestyle or I have kids or I have something financially I'm trying to achieve or heck, I love how much I'm making, but I'm missing something from my job. And you said, pull on all the glimmers of satisfaction to put together what you love. And, and you truly started to connect your brain to your heart, to that bank account. And uh, was that was that journey, did it have some... Uh, some challenge to it as you pursued kind of more of the heart or the soul or, um, Oh my God. Did, yeah. You become vulnerable. It's easy not to give a shit about something you don't care about. So, <laughs> you know, if I had a bad quarter, if I had a bad week, a bad month, a bad year, you know, I don't care. It's easy. You don't mm -hmm. care. As long as the check keeps coming in, I'll try my best, but I don't really care. The minute you put yourself, you know, on the chopping block, so to speak, whoo, you, you expose so many vulnerabilities, so many parts of you that you never had to deal with before. So I've grown more in six months than I've grown in six years. And mm -hmm. I expect uh, the next, you know, six, 12, 18 months, I expect to grow that way. If I'm not growing in every six months, it, it, as I measure my goals in terms of personal development, I look at it in six month increments. Mm -hmm. A big part of my philosophy of change is that we try to bite off way more than we can chew. And that's why we're largely unsuccessful making change both professionally and personally. Because somewhere in our culture, somewhere in the way that we uh, age, it's not enough. It's, it's never enough anymore. I mean, it, there's a, a really tired example, but it's valid. You think about a kid walking, a baby trying to walk for the first time. You would seem like the biggest jerk if you looked at that kid and said, well, that was only two steps. It's not really that impressive. You know, come back and see me when you walk the mile, okay, kid? But we do that to ourselves as adults. And instead, what's valuable, uh, and the reason that I use that six-month increment, is because it really allows you to track smaller bits of progress. Hmm. I, I measure days down even into, I measure goals down even into days. Like, can I accomplish one thing today? I tell people when they attend my seminars, you're going to hear four to six big ideas. I want you to take one. 
take one and act on it. Because if you try to do all six, you're going to fail. I've got a stack of notebooks. Stack, a freaking stack. Probably 5,000 ideas live in this stack. They're from the last two years of conferences. I've acted on five of them. I've only been successful at two of those. So we've got to take a realistic approach to change. And that's why right now is such a fascinating time, Josh. I'd love to hear what you're uh, experiencing in this realm. You know, we're very malleable. We're very adaptable human beings are. And we've adapted pretty darn well to this change pretty quickly. But we can't keep it like this. There's a test, the predictive index that some folks use for hiring and for job placement. And, and what I love about that is that, and I'm not, I'm not sponsored by that. They're not, I'm not getting any money, although maybe I should, because I really love it. The predictive index has this third dimension that they measure, which is your, your, your malleability. Can you force yourself as a square peg into that round hole? Most of us can for, for a period of time. And so there are a lot of folks who have twisted themselves into this world of virtual work, but they can't keep it forever. So what's interesting is how are companies going to equip their people to deal with that change long term, to make it a sustainable disruption? Because we don't mind sustainable change. We, we're scared of it at first. We don't mind it. What we hate are interruptions. And interruptions are changes that don't last, like that fad that we called open work environments, that fad that they called fidget spinners, right? It's a stupid change that doesn't last. What you want is disruption, a change that sustains. So I don't know, how, how are you seeing that play out in your practice, Josh? So one of the things that I've even done personally for me is because I try to take on the mountain and I know that I might not defeat the mountain this week or this day, but in my, in my makeup, I can't not try to take the mountain. Mm. And, you know, this, these last, it almost frustrated me that it took me the better part of two months to to have the awareness that I feel like I've had over the last few weeks. And I saw this picture in my mind, you know, if you're in the, in the hills of North Carolina or West Virginia and you're on the highway and uh, a big tractor trailer's next to you. And as it's slowing down, it's, it's, it's using its engine to slow it down instead of its brakes. And it's kind of like goo, 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 goo. And I saw that picture developing for me. And, and so how do you mean, I, what, what do you mean you saw that picture developing? I, I, I was frustrated that it took me almost two months to get to a point where I was like, okay, I have aware, I have a greater sense of awareness, not a greater sense of awareness, but I am aware of, of when I'm like going past the rumble strips of when I am trying to be somebody or do something, or I'm st- I get that feeling of straining or striving and it starts to come over. And, um, is that and a good feeling has, or a bad feeling? It's a bad feeling, but it, 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 it's a driving feeling. It gets, it has helped me get to this point. And I guess the, the little, <laughs> the little turn that I'm trying to make is one of the things that I've implemented. Cause I noticed this three weeks ago, I got into the middle of the week was hitting my targets in terms of the things that I wanted to do or things that make me feel successful. And it was about Wednesday afternoon and 
my brain started to go to this thing I'm not doing and that thing that didn't happen and this thing that I'm not going to get to this week and this idea I've never picked up and this book that I didn't read and the list just started to build Mm. and I felt paralyzed. And so uh, on Saturday mornings, I had this time called penalty box time that I used to, to, to not to work on anything new other than if you're in the penalty box, you have one thing you, it doesn't matter if you want to get back out on the ice, you can't. And so you can think and you can breathe. And so I use this time to think and breathe. And I was like, man, I'm like, you crushed it this last week from a certain set of metrics. Yet if I were to put together another set of metrics, I utterly failed. And I realized mid course when I was succeeding at the things I wanted to succeed on, there was some part of me that said, but you're not doing this, 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 and this. And so over the last few weeks, I've at I set clear, there are like three to five things and it could be simple, but it's like, if I do this with success this week consistently, so I guess in some ways, all of this, what I'm saying is almost even challenging because I want, I, not to your point of, of, Hey, if you are square going to a round hole at some point, you are going to bounce, you're going to, to, to unfit, but I want to keep the progress that I'm making, but that meant I had to stop going 75 miles an hour and I had to change some things because I want to keep it. I I have, I, you know, I have been interrupted. I have been disrupted, but it's caused me to see some things and now I want to retain them. So, what I'm, what I'm hearing, what I'm feeling is that you're, you're, almost pushing back in a, in a, in a way, which I appreciate on the idea of small change saying that you want to feel this tremendous growth and that the challenge that you're facing is that you've got these wins, but your brain also reminds you of the losses. And that puts you in this conflicted space where you feel like you're slowing down, even though you're trying to speed up because there's all these things that you're not able to accomplish because you're consistently moving faster. Is that a fair presentation of what you just said? I think to a degree, yeah. Okay. What did I miss? I think it's it's more so time is time is finite. And so there's only there's only so much time to accomplish with excellence the things like for example, I have a consulting client that is in um in a very a huge client and is directly in the midst of this COVID work. And so Mm -hmm. I'm all hands on deck. So I, I realized that week I had like 50 plus billable hours. So by revenue, a successful week, Mm -hmm. I had a couple good um, business development conversations with like, you know, zero real outbound work because I'm, I'm focused on this other. And all of a sudden in my mind, it's like, well, you haven't read that book. Well, you mm. didn't write that article yet this week and you did And it's like, I'm killing it over here. Mm-hmm. Yet there's a part of me that is leaking on my energy, leaking on my focus because it's like, listen, um, yeah, I agree with you. Yes. I need to produce a degree of content, but I also put out five videos this week in the midst of the, it's, it's almost, and maybe it's, it's part of of the personality of who I am when that's where I'm like, I'm going to take the mountain. Like I can do it all, but realizing I, 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 
that how you said earlier, the fight or flight, you have to come off of that in order to get the awareness on how on how you truly can best move forward. And, mm-hmm. and maybe if that's even, if that was even a message that I heard you saying without you saying it is your process of how you've developed and grown into who you are today has been taking your experience and almost analyzing it or looking at it or digging in and looking for something that would, would provide guidance to the next step instead of just saying, this is the path that I'm on and whatever happens is whatever's happening. And I think, I think that is the power of that cannot be understated and it can be so easy to miss in the path of somebody who is truly doing and accomplishing. And, and what I love about what you're admitting is what most people won't talk about. And that's the internal conflict that we experience because we are natural born. Some of us are even trained in our profession. We are natural born fault finders. There's a part of our brain that takes over whenever there's the potential for danger. And it looks for negative. It looks for danger. It looks for trouble. And what your brain is doing is it's, it's what it was intended to do. It's trying to protect you. Uh, and, the, the conversation that we need to have with ourself um, is simply to say, I appreciate that there's a part of my brain that expects more of me and wants to remind me that now is not the time to rest, that there's more work to be done. But I am also a human and I have this list of wins that I've accomplished this week. And what's going to get me there, what's going to get me to my goal is not on dwelling on what I've not done. It's on celebrating what I have done and finding a way to build on those strengths. And where our journeys intersect and where our conversation really intersects is is here is that my entire life has been fighting that demon, if you want to call it, that part of your brain that says, this isn't enough, you're not doing it right. When in fact, if 20 years ago, as I started my professional career, I had known these tricks that I know now, they're not even really tricks. What they are is they're, they're, uh, psych- they're, they're basically psychology tools, positive psychology, behavioral economics. If I had known about these concepts, about building on what's right versus trying to fix what's wrong, I would be so much further ahead. But here my brain comes into that conversation. Again, so you would be further ahead. See, you didn't do what you needed to do. And it's that easy for us to snap back into that line of thinking. So, so, Getting over that hump, you asked, you know, have I grown? What have I experienced in challenges? Yeah, that's a very real challenge that each of us has, whether we're entrepreneurs, whether we're uh, solo uh, practitioners, whether we are um, teachers, whether, you know, a bus driver, it doesn't matter what you do, you know, how, how uh, um, uh, uh, senior your position is or, or how junior your position is. There's always more to be done. The challenge is, is what you got done the right thing? Right is a very deliberative word, so let me back up. Um, Is what you got done moving you towards your long-term goal? And when I said earlier, the stupid part was that I didn't have a long-term goal. The fact that you don't have a long-term goal made it easier for me to look at what was wrong because I didn't know what was right. If you don't know where your car is going, how do you know if you made the right turn? But you certainly know where all the potholes are and where all the stoplights are and where all the traffic is. You see all of that negative. You have no idea what's positive because you don't know where you're going. So for me, 
the two things that have made all the difference in the world are knowing where I want to go and having these tools that I try to teach other people through my keynotes, through my coaching, through my uh, workshops, having the tools to help yourself get there. And so when I say small changes, I'm not saying have small goals. No, you should have goals that seem bigger than you could ever achieve, but take small sustainable steps to get to them, right? That's a whole uh, Neil Armstrong this is one small leap for man, one giant leap for mankind. That, that one single step that he took did so much. And one thing that we do, whether it's an action, whether it's a skill that we learn, whether it's a plan that we make, sustained can have tremendous impact on our life for the long run. Mm. Wow. Okay. Next, we've got the fireside chat. And I don't normally tease, but we got to dig into dueling piano. We have yeah. to dig into obstacle of potentially losing your voice. So, Greg, this has, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm spinning over here. I like it. Such a pleasure. Thank you for allowing us to go deep in this time and really share something that will be meaningful and help somebody find their way forward. 